Well, we'll start again at Deuteronomy chapter 12. And I think we'll, we'll start from the beginning because we're not going to get too far this morning because we're going to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread. Chapter 12. And my Bible says the heading for this chapter is Worship Only in a Special Place. Worship only in a special place. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods. Upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree and ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither shalt thou come. But just stop there for a moment. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go in to see my father at work and it was a, a mineral water factory, a lemonade factory great place for a child to go and when I was there I could drink whatever I wanted but the strange thing was I never felt all that thirsty when, when I went in and when I came out I was only five minutes down the road when I felt I needed a drink and that's just nature isn't it and I was thinking about this uh, I'm sure many of us, when, we've had, when we're going to have a conversation of some importance or at a meeting where you can ask a question when the speaker has spoken, usually you can't think of anything to ask. But as soon as you get outside, you, you sort of say, oh, I wish I'd asked them such and such a question. And you know, quite often on a Sunday afternoon when, when I'm sitting here, I, I say... Uh, I, I knew there was something else I should have said this morning and I felt a bit like that last weekend and when I started to study uh, I want to go back a little bit perhaps on what we said last week one thing which came in this morning in relation to this we were saying that God wanted us to worship no other God but him and Episcopalians in Southern California joined hands with Hindus in a joint worship service and apologized for attempts to convert them to Jesus Christ. The service was held in St. John's Cathedral in Los Angeles and the participants included members of St. Patrick's Episcopal Church of Thousand Oaks and so on. The a man called John Bruno, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Los Angeles, issued the statement of apology to the Hindu community 
and said he renounced proselytizing of Hindus. A Hindu nun blew into a conch shell to start the service and members of the International Society of Krishna Consciousness chanted. This is from the Los Angeles Times on January the 20th. The female priest, Episcopal, Episcopal priest Karen McQueen, who spent two years in India studying Hinduism, preached on a vision for inter-religious dialogue. She said that both Hindus and Christians worship the divine light and teach the divine truth. Isn't that interesting? In the light of what we were saying last week, what the scriptures say, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. That's what Peter said about this whole mess. The need to be discerning in our Christian life and witness is so important. I know I'm always going on about it, but it's so important. The way Moses was constantly telling the people to remember the statutes of the Lord. There's an interesting verse I came across in Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 and verse 7. And it says, Thou shalt keep far from the cause of falsehood. Exodus 23 and verse 7. Thou shalt keep far from the cause of falsehood. False words, false acts, false manners. Keep far from them, God said to the Israelites, as he was saying to them in Deuteronomy. The primary meaning of this verse is the commandment to the Jews to distance, to a Jew to distance himself from false theologies and false ideologies. In other words, distance yourself from everything that is at variance with the truth. And for us, the truth is the word of God. This, of course, is what God was demanding of the Israelites as they entered the promised land. They were to keep far from the cause of falsehood. An American philosopher, William James, he said, there is no greater lie than a truth misunderstood. There's no greater lie than a truth misunderstood. And this is the fundamental root of all false religions. The greater the truth and the more subtle the misunderstanding of the truth, the greater the threat of the lie, the falsehood. And you see, the fact is that most false religions have some truth in them somewhere. And that makes it believable. There is no greater truth or reality than the truth of God. There is no greater source of truth than God's word. Any slight deviation or distortion of either the truth of God 
God's word and the truth contained in scripture produces a horrific falsehood anything that does not agree or is not founded on the truth in the Bible comes under the classification of what God was saying in Exodus a false word, a falsehood and God commands us God commanded the Jews and the New Testament does the same distance yourself from falsehood I'm sure we've all been behind a big tanker driving along the road and at the back you have little skulls and danger symbols and it's got some deadly chemical in it and usually there's a sign that says keep your distance now only a fool would want to keep as close as possible to the danger and yet in the Christian world today we see those who purport to maintain the truths of God's word they maintain close links with those who blatantly disobey scripture we saw that example as we read out there God concludes that verse in Exodus 23 and verse 7 was it for I will not justify the wicked I will not justify the wicked on that you all know you've all heard of the leaning tower of Pisa it shows very clearly to us that any error in the foundation of a tall building creates a never widening angle of incline as the building gets up higher what starts out as a very small little error at the bottom increases as it goes up as the building rises higher and higher the error at the bottom in the foundation causes a large crooked building at the top and you know eventually the weight of that error that ever so subtle error at the bottom can cause the structure to fall you know you don't notice it so much in a one story building but as it gets higher that error is magnified over and over again though it may appear to flourish even for centuries like the Tower of Pisa eventually history will ultimately test the integrity of that building and so in recent years I've had to do a lot of reconstruction on the foundation of the leaning Tower of Pisa but it hasn't got rid of the first vital error it still leans you know God's word God's truth is everlasting and like a building with endless stories and it must be kept that way as straight as God's word you see the Bible warns us and we were looking at this last week thou shalt have no other God but me but do we take it seriously I don't know what I saw on the paper a while back there was a chap who was counterfeiting pound coins millions of pound coins he, he, he made 
In fact, the reckon I think it is that at least one percent of all the pound coins in Britain were made by this fellow. They were so good. They don't know how many he made, and they're all in circulation. And you know, our government and our courts do not treat those who counterfeit coins and money very kindly. Practically speaking, the penalty for printing counterfeit money appears to be much greater than the penalty for stealing money sometimes. Why? Because when you produce false money, you reduce the credibility of all the other genuine money which is in circulation. That's what Peter said about these people. He said, many shall follow their pernicious ways, and by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. These counterfeiters reduce the credibility of all the genuine money which is in circulation. False currency can threaten the entire banking system and the integrity of every financial transaction. Stealing money is wrong, but it is less, less threatening than the act of counterfeiting even a single one pound. But how much worse, how much worse to counterfeit the truth of God? When we see many who claim to be speaking in the name of God and then they teach false doctrine in the name of God as his servants. Peter says, beware. God says, distance yourself. When the Bible is hijacked and its intended meaning distorted beyond recognition, the far-reaching consequences by definition are predictably devastating. And the longer such a religious system or code of teaching lasts, eventually the greater the fall will be. Remember that cry that was in Revelation? Revelation 14.8 And there followed another angel crying, Babylon has fallen, Babylon has fallen, the great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. These systems will fall before God sometime. You know, we see, we spoke about this last week, we, we, we believe we are seeing history beginning to move to its grand conclusion. Intellectual and religious towers whose foundation is found wanting when measured against the word of truth, we see them beginning to crumble. And in the process, many people's faith are shaken. We see the forces of error now joining up together, all leading to the one world religion prophesied in the Bible, which will be ushered in during the Great Tribulation. And we also see, as we read last week, the beginning of the one world government system alongside that, alongside the gathering of the one world religion. It's happening. But God's everlasting love to his people, the Israelites, and to us as Christians, God's everlasting love to us 
who seek him with all our hearts moves him to call us to draw us into greater and clearer understanding of his truth to stay close to him and far from falsehood thereby liberating us from those very falsehoods and to learn day by day to lean on the truth of his word may we each one thank God for his truth as revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ I am the way the truth and the life Jesus said to his father thy word is truth and that brings us to verse 5 that we read there a minute ago verse 5 of Deuteronomy 12 but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling and there you shall come it's interesting that it says the place where the Lord your God will choose oh man chooses many ways that he thinks he can worship God but God has given one way through one person one way to worship him you know it's interesting as we looked I read those verses and as we looked last week we saw that the Canaanites worshipped in many places they worshipped in different places on the mountaintops on the hills under the trees and in the groves these religions the religions which were practiced taught a thing called pantheism God was in everything the pantheon in Rome it was a temple of all the gods it was originally built as a temple to all the gods of ancient Rome they believed that they could worship all the gods pantheism I was reading a bit by a girl in America she, she runs courses and she teaches this doctrine that God is in everything and in order to teach the fact that God was in everything she came up with various little things which she taught in her class and to us it seems strange but this is what she was teaching and it, it, she is well thought of in this particular field God she says was in this coat hanger God was in this magazine God was in that door God is in everything I see and this teaching of pantheism is the teaching which is common in many of the religions today yoga and all those kind of things have the same kind of basis and you know the sad thing is that apart from ecumenical amalgamation of world religions of more concern to you and to me is the fact that pantheism is infiltrating into some of the evangelical world and teaching today there's a man called Warren Smith and he was into the new age movement in a big way and he was saved out of it and he noticed that Rick Warren and Robert Schuller appeared to be teaching this doctrine 
and he wrote a book uh, called Deceived on Purpose, The New Age Implications of the Purpose-Driven Church, and he devoted an entire chapter about it in his book. And here's what he says. Rick Warren's implication and Robert Schuller's contention that God is in every person is at the very heart of all New Age thinking. The Bible does not teach this. One of the troubles with Rick Warren is he uses every possible translation of the Bible if it suits his way of thinking. And this uh, Warren Smith goes on to say the new century version that Rick Warren quotes is dangerously mistaken in its translation of Ephesians 4 and verse 5. Just look at Ephesians 4 verse 5 because this, these are the religions that are around today that these uh, ancient people in, in Canaan had the same kinds of thoughts. And this is what they were going to come up against as they went in to the promised land. There's one body, one spirit, even as we are called in one hope. Uh, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's important. Listen. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But this new century version that Rick Warren quotes from says there is one God and Father of everything, he rules everything and is everywhere and is in everything totally different he rules everything and is everywhere and is in everything now this is dangerous we must be very careful our authorised version is so good. Our God, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul is here preaching and talking to Christians. There's a lot of people out there that does not profess, a whole mass that does not profess Christ. The bulk of men, the bulk of people, the bulk of the nations worship idols. We hold, we believe, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That is, it is a personal God. We have a personal God. Not all the idea, not at all the idea that everything is God. That's what these people teach. God is in everything. It's false. Pantheism in its worst form. We believe in one God, not a number of divinities. These Hindus believe in thousands of gods. The Muslim believe in a God that hasn't a son. All false gods. But we believe not in a number of divinities like the Gentiles and those in Canaan did, but one God and Father of all who through Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit is in us all. The Christian revelation brings out God in an infinitely larger and for us a more intimate relationship. 
These people don't know of an intimate relationship with a God who is in everything. One God and Father who is above all and through all, pointing to his, his supremacy, and in you all. For believers, he is in us. That's how Paul, when he wrote to Colossians, the people in Colossae, in Colossians 1.17, he says, What is your hope? Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that wonderful? I wonder why Rick Warren chose this translation rather than one of the recognized ones. Unless, of course, he wants to push forward his theories and to muddy the waters of true believers. The Holy Ghost is speaking of the Father's peculiar relationship to a Christian. Nothing can be more precious, more beautiful and accurate than the unity which we have with Christ taught in this verse in Ephesians. And you see, these people were going into this land and they were going to come up against people who believed in multiple gods. Gods on the mountains, gods of the sky, gods in the sun, gods in the moon, gods in the plants. And people believe that these days. It hasn't changed. Those evil spirits which bring forth that teaching are still around today. And God says, in verse 5, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose, not the one place they're going to choose, he was going to choose a place, out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. He was going to produce a place. He was going to designate a place. He was going to do it. And he was going to put his name there. How important that was. He was going to put his name there. A place where his people could come unto his habitation. This was something that was pagan gods around the children of Israel when they moved into this land. They could never attain to this. To go to a place where their gods would inhabit. No, they built these places close as they could to the sky because they worshipped the sun or the moon or the stars or the trees. Indians, the Hindus with the Ganges. Why are all the people going to wash in the Ganges? The God of the Ganges. What a privilege it was for these Israelites. What a, an amazing thing to meet. They were going to meet with this eternal God. And he was going to choose this place where they could go and worship him. One place where his name would be honoured, where his habitation would be. A place, and then it says, is going to be common to everybody in Israel. They were all to go to this. Some were not to go there or here. They were to go to where the place which God had chosen to put his name there. 
one place where his name would be honored where his dwelling would be the cloud would be over the cloud of God's presence over the tabernacle or over the temple and you know speaking to us this speaks to us of the meeting together here and elsewhere as God's people and as we meet here around the breaking of bread it's the same for everybody universally we all have to come to the same point to meet with God approach to God is the same in its universal character we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ there's no other way everyone comes the same way or you don't come at all he has but one way for his people to worship and adore him and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ men may work out their own way men may work out the way they think but what does this verse say it's God shall choose the way we come to him to worship is the way he shall choose and the way he has ordained it is through his son the Lord Jesus Christ in essence it's, we all meet together because of Calvary that's the reason we meet at the foot of the cross of Jesus you know I don't know whether you've read Pilgrim's Progress it's years since I looked at it but you know there's a man used to come to our children's meeting and he had a magic lantern and he used to have slides of the Pilgrim's Progress giant despair and he'd tell the girl don't look at this this is big giant despair and he would say this but I always remember Pilgrim Pilgrim had this big load on his back and it was only when he came to the cross and he realized that Christ had died for him that this load suddenly disappeared and he became Pilgrim became Christian and he went on and here's what he said thus far I did come laden with my sin nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither what a place is this must here be the beginning of my bliss must hear the burden fall from off my back must hear the strings that bound it to me crack blessed cross blessed sepulchre blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me the Israelites were to meet in the place where God's name was exalted we meet to today in the name of God's son as he has desired that we should worship him and remember him Jesus said with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer and he says to you and to me remember me remember me and so we come to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine you know Israel met to eat the Passover 
year by year, and they still do, as a redeemed people. They have been redeemed out of Egypt through the blood of the Lamb. We meet today as a company of those redeemed by and through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. God had provided a lamb. Do you remember Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Oh, it was true of the particular situation Abraham found himself in at that particular time, but it was true prophetically. God will provide a lamb. Jesus Christ was the lamb of God. Taketh away the sin of the world. I was looking this week at some aspects of the Passover. The Passover, as Jesus would have carried it out in his day, and as many Jews worldwide observe and celebrate it these days. The Passover. A wonderful uh, example of the truths of Scripture. There are a couple of points that I wanted to just dwell on just for a minute. When the Jews have Passover, they lay out four different cups. The first cup is called the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing. All those surrounding the, the, the family table, because Jewish Passovers are usually done within the family, they all partake of this cup. No one is excluded. Because those within the family partake of the cup. We come to the Lord's table. Those within the family of God are those who partake of the cup and the bread. And you know, I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 may have been thinking of this very thing when he spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Here's what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He probably was thinking back to the Passover when he had been a practicing Jew. And he was saying, this cup of blessing all the Jews around that he was speaking to knew what he was talking about. The cup of blessing that they partook of in the Passover. What blessings we have to think about and to thank God for on this morning. Oh, I, I was just looking at this before you came in. All the blessings we have. If you want to see all the blessings you have, read the first and second chapters of Ephesians. We have been adopted uh, we, we, we have received the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace we have he has made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he had purposed in himself uh, let's see what else uh, we have in verse 13 in whom he also trusted after that he heard the word of truth the word of truth again the gospel of your salvation in whom after that he believed he were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and he is the earnest of deposit 
of our inheritance. So we've been talking a lot about inheritance the last few weeks. The Holy Spirit indwelling you and me is the guarantee of our inheritance in heaven. Uh, we cease not to give thanks, he says. It's no wonder. And then he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. All these things. And if you go on to chapter 2, he says, you were quickened. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and we've been quickened. We've been made alive in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 5, even when you are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace that you saved. And so on. We haven't time to go anymore. But all those blessings, we can drink the cup of blessing this morning. The second cup was called the cup of wrath. The cup of wrath. Oh, nobody drank that. Nobody drank that. Just as the first cup all could take, no one dared drink the cup of God's wrath. We would not want to partake of the cup of God's wrath. Look at John 3. John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus said, abide in me to his followers. Abide in me. And if we don't abide in Christ, we abide in the wrath of God. That's a terrible thought. And the wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, when he prayed in Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh, the cup he was thinking of was the cup of wrath. The cup of God's wrath was going to be poured out on him. And Jesus prayed, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of your wrath, if it be possible, let this cup, that he wouldn't have to drink it, but he drank it for you and for me. And if we accept Christ as our Savior, then we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God. If we accept Christ as our Savior, the wrath of God passes away from us. Let's move on. We used to sing that hymn years ago, the, the bitter cup, love drank us up. It is empty now for me. The third cup was called the cup of salvation. Oh yes, they could all drink of the cup of salvation. We who believe in Christ have the cup of salvation. We enjoy all the blessings of Jesus Christ like it says in the Psalm 23 my cup runneth over oh we have so many blessings 
running over, my cup's full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. My cup's full and running over. We have so many blessings in our salvation in Jesus Christ. Then there was a fourth cup, the cup of the kingdom. And this looked forward to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ would come back again and set up his kingdom upon earth. And Jesus said, what did he say? I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That day will come when he will drink it new with his people in the kingdom of God. It's wonderful that the Jew at this very... The, the Jews having the Passover at this time, this... this uh, era that we're living in year by year they have it it gives wonderful insight into the truths of the New Testament and they don't know that's a sad thing and you know an empty chair was left in the house and another cup of wine and this was for the cup was for Elijah we've spoken about this for before and they then send the little kid outside one of the things they do to see if Elijah's outside but the, he will either come in spirit or in human form and they won't they wait for him and you know when they when they open the door they all stand up and they say Baruch Haba blessed is he that cometh and you know what did Jesus say he said Ye shall not see me until the time when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. These people perform this act every Passover, and yet they're waiting for the Messiah. Sadly, he has already come, but one day he will come again for his people, for his Jews. One other thing I thought was very interesting looking at the things about the, 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 uh, the Passover. They eat unleavened bread. And one of the plates, they put out three, three pieces, three cakes. There are flat cakes. They're called matzos. And they are put three on a plate. But this is amazing. Almost at the beginning of the, the ceremony, the middle one, the middle one is taken away and it's broken. Broken in half. And the father who would be usually the one who would be performing the, the Passover hides one half of it under the pillow on which he leans. Puts it, he hides it. And there it is hidden away from sight until the supper is over. And then it is brought out and the family partakes of it. It's a wonderful picture of the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. They never take the first one or the last one. They take the middle one. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He was broken for the sin of the whole world but is still hidden from the Jews. They don't accept him as the Messiah. But at the end of this dispensation, 
we know that Jesus Christ will come for his church and take us to be with himself but then he will return again and the Jews will recognize him when he comes to this earth now apparently if you ask a Jew they can't give you any reason why there are three uh, flat cakes on the plate they can't they give some reasons which are not very uh, sensible they say it's maybe representing an Israelite, a Levite and a priest these reasons don't satisfy the inquiring mind but why did they take the middle one out it's because the Lord Jesus Christ the second person of the Trinity has suffered and bled and died for them he's hidden from them but someday they will recognize him as their Messiah in that day they will say lo this is our God we have waited for him and he will save us this is Jehovah we have waited for him we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation Isaiah 25 verse 9 rejoice in his salvation are we rejoicing in our salvation which Jesus Christ has wrought for us at Calvary Jesus said I came to give you joy and those Jews have waited for him we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation but today this morning we remember him as we drink the cup and the break the bread that bitter cup love drank it up it is empty now for we can remember Jesus Christ in his death this morning as he bore the wrath of God for you and for me his blood poured out his body broke let us remember him this morning